0: Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can download Discover DEP and subscribe to future editions through iTunes and Google Play. Today we're going to talk about the Watershed Education Urban Fishing Program, which is celebrating its 20th year. For two decades, this program has been offering urban communities information and education on fish consumption advisories, stormwater management, and water quality monitoring. It uses an experiential learning approach to introduce students to their water environment through fishing, which is one of the activities offered to encourage stewardship of local waters. And we're very pleased to have with us today Harold Nebling, an environmental scientist here at DEP, who can tell us more about the program because he's been involved with it for many
1: years. Harold, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Thanks so much. So, Harold, what is the Watershed Education Urban Fishing Program?
1: Well, it's uh a... hands-on program uh, so the kids can learn more about water quality and the reasons for fish consumption advisories and how their activities can help uh, improve the water quality in their communities
0: and it's it happens mostly in our cities i guess
1: uh, it happens mostly in the northeast where we have the most contamination from the legacy pollutants and uh, that's how the fish advisories got started and that's how this program grew out of the fish advisories and hopefully we'll teach the kids what species they can and cannot eat.
0: Harold, what cities have been participating in this program over the last 20 years?
1: Oh, many cities have participated over the last 20 years. This year we had Jersey City participate, Bayonne, Elizabeth, South Hackensack, Carteret, and Ridgefield Park. We actually had three different schools in Jersey City participate this year, so that was kind of unusual, but we, we uh, spread it around as much as we can. Uh, as far as the funding will go, we usually can pull off eight programs a year.
0: That's great. Let's look back 20 years when this program got started, what was the impetus for beginning this program?
1: Well, the impetus was the fish advisories started in the 80s and 90s when we found uh, high levels of dioxins in some of the crabs. And through lots more research we found that there were many contaminants of concern in, in some of the species and the community asked us to spread that information through the public schools.
0: So you went into the public schools and are are giving this information to the kids, who I guess can then bring it back to their parents and and their homes.
1: That was the whole idea, to reach out to broader audiences just through the public schools because we, we found that the public service announcements weren't working as well as we had anticipated.
0: So what ages participate in the program in the schools?
1: We target fifth and sixth graders mainly because they're old enough to learn the scientific concepts and they're young enough to still want to learn. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's great. And they must have a lot of fun participating in the program. Harold, I understand this program lasts for several days. Take us through what happens, what the students are doing, what they're learning over the course of the uh, several days they spend in the program. First, let's start with how many days does the program last?
1: Uh, we try to do a four-day program, but now with a lot of parks testing going on, we, we can reduce it to three days if the school can't do four-day program. But in um, a Perfect World, we would do a four-day program, and the first day would start with classroom to introduce the concepts of bioaccumulation and how the fish got the contaminates in the first place, and then we move on. The second day is usually a litter march, and we also look for the storm sewers and try to figure out how the storm sewers connect to their local water bodies, and we also look to see what's washing into those storm sewers. On the third day, uh, the kids, half of them are out on a boat looking at the environment from the water. Most of the kids in the inner city have never been on the water in their town and so while they're out on the boat they're doing an eco-cruise and Captain Bill teaches them about the environment and also the species that live there and how they interact with the environment that is changing daily with human activities.
0: So it sounds like this is really very much a multidisciplinary program. You've got environmental and science involved. You've got history involved in terms of teaching them about how the contaminants got in the uh, water over the past century, really, or or more. You've got health because you're teaching them about how these contaminants affect human health as well as the health of the uh, species that are in the water. They, They learn a lot in a very short period of time.
1: Oh yeah, and the, and the fourth day we do fishing, and then at the end of the day we do a dissection and we show them how um, some of the contaminants are stored in different parts of the fish and that some of the contaminants are throughout the fish and that there's no way to cut them away, that those contaminants are in the fish and, and there's no safe way to consume them.
0: Have most of these kids ever fished before, or is this their first time out?
1: Probably about 80% of the kids have never fished before. Um, Usually there are some kids in the classroom that have been fishing, but most of them uh, have never touched a fishing pole in their life. So
0: the program I presume provides the equipment, the fishing pole, the bait, all the other things that they need to be able to fish?
1: Yeah, usually we bring all the equipment that the kids need. Sometimes the kids request to bring their own equipment, but we provide everything they need to go fishing and to dissect the fish at the end of the day. We have bait and rods that uh, the state has provided for us, and we also have volunteers from the community to help them learn how to fish.
0: So what is it like on a kid's face? What does a kid's face look like the first time they catch a fish?
1: Well, it's smiles from ear to ear, uh, elation, and sometimes crying is involved because their emotions are so great that they end up crying.
0: That's great. What kind of fish are they usually catching in these rivers?
1: A lot of white perch. Uh, uh, Sometimes we actually catch very big stripers, small stripers, catfish, and uh, American eel is probably the most common.
0: So when you're dissecting the fish at the end of the day and showing them where the things are, how does that work?
1: Well, a lot of kids are initially grossed out a little bit, but then once I start showing them um, how similar that is to their body parts and how the body parts function the same as a human body, they get really fascinated and ask questions how it, how their body works. So it, it uh, relates directly to their own body, so they're pretty interested.
0: And how are you able to show where the contamination is? Do you stain parts of the fish, or how does that work?
1: Well, some of the fish contaminants of concern are fat-soluble, so they would end up in the fatty tissues. And in, just like in humans, in a fish, that would be around the stomach area uh, where the fish accumulates more fat t- tissues. So uh, that's the one of the areas we show them, and then, of course, in the gut, the liver, and the fatty tissues and the gonads, they would have a higher concentrate of contaminants of concern. So how do you
0: select students to participate in this program? Do students volunteer, or does their teacher volunteer an entire class, or how does that work?
1: Uh, It depends on the school. Usually, we do a whole class, but sometimes the schools are too big, so the teachers select the students uh, to participate.
0: And have you noticed over the years an increase in participation, a greater demand for this program?
1: Well, the demand is always greater than we can supply. Based on the school year, the timing, we only have a certain amount of time to do this because we can't do it in the winter when it's too cold, and in the fall there's too much testing going on, so we only have the spring time to do this program, and we can only fit about eight to ten programs in that time period. So we pretty much are limited to about eight programs a year. And
0: do you partner with any other organizations? Do you have volunteers that assist in running the program?
1: Absolutely. We have lots of wonderful volunteers from the Division of Fish and Wildlife. And we also have volunteers from uh, NGOs. Also, one of our partners in the program is the Hackensack Riverkeeper, who's been involved since the beginning, and they provide material support, and also they provide the boats that take the kids out on the eco-cruises, and they also help us do the water testing. So, what do you think
0: is the most valuable lesson the students take away from this program at the end of the four
1: days? There's many valuable lessons, but the most important one is probably which species not to consume so their health isn't adversely affected.
0: Are there programs where if they fish and catch a species they should not consume that they can uh, trade it for a, a healthier fish? In some of these communities? Yeah,
1: there's a, a new program started by Rutgers that you can trade the fish in on weekends. If you catch one during the week, uh, just refrigerate it until uh, the weekend, and they're open on the weekends, and they'll, they'll take your fish, and they'll give you a farm-raised safe-to-eat fish in, in exchange.
0: And, of course, they could always do catch and release if they wanted as
1: well. Absolutely. That's what we encourage in the program. We usually only save one fish during the day for dissection, and we release all the other ones, unless somebody wants to dissect that fish in particular, or if it's a different species than we have for dissection, we'll keep more than one. But usually we try to do catch and release. And have you seen over the past 20
0: years any improvement in the water quality and improvement in the health of the fish that you've been catching?
1: Not so much in the health of the fish, but we've definitely seen uh, uh, water quality improvements where the amount of fish has increased over the years. So you can definitely see the ecosystem has been changing for the better. There's less floatable pollution, and also there's less oil sheen on the water than there was 20 years ago. So the water quality in the urban areas are definitely improving through DP regulations and also uh, human changes in their behavior have kept the floatables down in the in the harbors. Where years ago, the shores were littered with beer cans and, and floatable debris, now you can actually see the grass and, and the algae in the water.
0: So what are some of the things you would uh, suggest people do to make sure that they're contributing to healthier rivers in our urban areas?
1: Well, one of the things that they can do in it, uh, is not to pour their oil down the storm drains, And that um, has subsided a little bit in the last 20 years due to the fact that a lot of the storm drains have markers on them that say don't pour the oil down here. And we do put it on the storm drains in different languages now, so hopefully that helps.
0: And I would imagine when these students are done with this program, they become not only more informed, but probably environmental ambassadors back to their schools and their communities.
1: Well, hopefully we give them a knowledge base so they can make uh, informed decisions on what to do with waste products and how to how to deal with them, and that some of those things don't end up in the water.
0: So, over the course of the years that you've been running this program, what has really surprised you the most in terms of how the children respond and react to the program?
1: Well. The most astounding thing was that the children live very close to the waterfront, sometimes two, three blocks away, and that they've never been to the waterfront and that they don't know the name of the waterway that they live close to.
0: So when they get down there for the first time, when you're bringing them down there to see it, how do they respond? What's their reaction?
1: Well, first of all, they didn't realize how close it was to their neighborhood and that, uh, that it's open, public open space. They didn't really realize that they can utilize it that there are access points in almost every community.
0: So I would imagine they're pretty excited then to uh, have the opportunity to learn about this resource which is literally down the block.
1: And yeah, and also um, they also ask me how they can uh, get a fishing pole and and come back and do this with their friends and we always show them how to make a hand line for free.
0: So this isn't something that they do once, their interest is is peaked to the extent that they want to go back to the waterfront and, and try fishing again even after the program has been completed.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Usually when at the end of the day they beg their teachers not to leave and they want to continue fishing and they want to know if they can come back the next day. But we do have Hofnod programs that the state runs That so if the teachers are so inclined they can join the Hofnod group and get their kids involved through the state program.
0: And that's the Hooked on Fishing, Not on Drugs program. Correct. Which is a great program. Well, I think the fact that the kids want to continue to fish and go back and fish, that's the mark of a really successful program. That it's not just a one-off that you've really awakened them to new opportunities to enjoy their environment and uh, really get to know it better.
1: Yeah, and hopefully they'll learn something along the way.
0: Where can people go to find out more information about the Watershed Education Urban Fishing Program?
1: Well, the Division of Water Monitoring Standards has a website on the DEP webpage, and it also can be reached uh, through FishSmartEatSmartNJ.gov. nj.gov.
0: Right, and we will put those websites up on the description of this podcast when it is posted so that folks can go directly to those pages. And if teachers want to have their students participate, that's where they, sh- they should visit those web pages as well?
1: Absolutely, and also contact the Hackensack Riverkeeper.
0: And is there a deadline for applying?
1: No, not really. Um, just bear in mind that we usually have more requests than we can fill.
0: So the sooner people get in their requests, the more likely it is they'll be able to participate. Hopefully that's okay, Jeff. yes. Well, Harold, this has been a fascinating discussion about a program that uh, I certainly was not aware of before. A lot of really good work is being done in our urban areas to raise awareness about the environment in that area, how people can protect it, and how they can protect their own health. And, of course, any time you can get kids connecting with the environment through fishing and being on the water, It can only work for the good. So, Harold, I want to thank you for your stewardship of this program, which has obviously really helped to educate many, many students over the years, and I'm sure in the years to come will continue to be a great success. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having us. Thanks. Thanks
0: for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.